you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America first perspective. Streaming live on iHeartRadio. Available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, and Spotify. And your favorite podcast directory. And you can follow me on Twitter. The address is right now, Jim Dawes. Or you can shoot me an email at rightnowjimdaws at gmail.com. Want to get something off your chest? You can call the vent line at 772-245-0750. That address again is 772-245-0750. Well, we've got a lot to celebrate today, and we've got some things to uh, to discuss and uh, be concerned about because... Yesterday, uh, the U.S. military caught a leader of the uh, Iran Quds Force, the Revolutionary Guard, over there in Iraq at the airport, and uh, and they killed them. So we've got, we're going to talk about how we got to this place, uh, the dangers that are involved, and where we should go from here. But first, I want to set this segment up with a report from Lise Doucette at the BBC. Foreign Minister Jabez Zarif, who warned about a dangerous and foolish escalation, he's called it an act of international terrorism. Of course, a completely opposite view from the Pentagon, which is saying that it targeted Qasem Soleimani to deter Iran's future attacks, and that it holds him responsible for the deaths of hundreds of uh, American soldiers and many other lives in the Middle East. The response of Iran is starting very slowly, very diplomatically. It's already summoned uh, the Swiss um, envoy in the Iranian capital, Tehran. It is the the Swiss embassy, which represents uh, American interests, since, of course, the United States closed its embassy with the Iranian revolution in 1979. Uh, there is also uh, a top security meeting taking place um, in Tehran now uh, to discuss what options will be next. Uh, but it's widely believed that this will escalate what already is an extremely tense and volatile situation in this. This comes, of course, after a year in which many had feared the outbreak of war, but everyone, everyone on all sides had said they want to avoid a war. This, what has happened today with the attack on Baghdad airport and the killing of Qasem Soleimani, as well as the senior Iraqi militia commander, um, has made, has turned this into a completely different game, a completely different and more dangerous crisis. It is a completely different and dangerous crisis, and uh, we'll talk about how we got here. So, you know, uh, after 9-11, we invaded Iran, I mean, uh, Afghanistan, and, um, you know, tried to get Osama bin Laden. The CIA insisted that we allow the local warlords to pursue uh, Osama bin Laden, and they promptly chased him over in the Tora Tora uh, Mountains into um, Pakistan, the one nuclear-armed nation on Earth where we could not chase him, and it took 10 years to get him. So, um, you know, uh, the neocons convinced uh, George W. Bush to invade Iraq. And in doing so, we removed the major, major counterbalance in the region that was keeping Iran in check. And after we removed that counterbalance, Iran infiltrated Iraq and set up their own um, Iraqi militias and uh, and uh, gained a foothold over there. We should have never uh, deposed Saddam Hussein. 
he was, in fact, uh, keeping Iran in check for us. But uh, Iran was allowed to infiltrate Iraq and set up these militias. And then Osama, or, um, Osama bin Laden, <laughs> uh, um, Barack Obama entered into this disastrous nuclear deal with Iran that allowed them to uh, continue their nuclear development in secret and, uh, and continue to develop intercontinental bl- uh, ballistic missiles. So when Trump came into office, he pulled out of that deal and applied these crippling sanctions on Iran that, uh, that has uh, basically destabilized their government and led to massive protests across Iran and so Iran's leaders, the mullahs, are looking for a way to strike back, and they used these militias that they had set up in Iraq to start attacking American interests in retaliation for our sanctions. Well, Donald Trump is not the type to, uh, to sit on his hands, and so the U.S. military was ordered to strike at these Iraqi, uh, these Iran militias inside Iraq last week, uh, wiping them out. I think he killed about 27 of uh, that unit that had attacked America. And in response, this is all tit for tat. you got to keep up with it. In response, Iran um, laid siege to the American embassy in Baghdad. They didn't. They were unsuccessful in breaching the walls. They were, in fact, able to get into a, uh, a reception area, which is used for screening, uh, which you know, is unsurprising because that was the, uh, the the buffer zone, but they were not able to, to get into the compound. And um, and if the, Ira- the Iranians thought that uh, that was going to uh, be successful, they had another thing coming because Donald Trump, despite the fact that the Democrats were all over the media accusing, uh, you know, this of being Trump's own Benghazi, Donald Trump immediately deployed 750 Marines to reinforce the compound and deployed 4,000 Marines to the region. I think they were setting up at the airport in uh, Qatar to uh, to push back, whereupon the uh, Iranians withdrew their militias and their, their siege of the American embassy. But uh, it did not end there because this guy, Soleimani, who is the the chief fomenter of terrorism in the Middle East on behalf of Iran was caught uh, coming into the Iran airport, and he was meeting with their local uh, Iran militia leader on the ground there in Iraq, and the American uh, military took the opportunity to take both of those targets out. And so that's where we are now. And the question is, uh, what will, where will we go from here? And what will the response of the Iranians be? Now, if they continue to escalate this, we have a whole lot of tools in our box that we can uh, continue to uh, make them pay a price. The neocons, of course, are up in Washington, D.C., beating the drums for, uh, for an escalated wider war against Iran we do not need to uh, make the mistake that George W. Bush and previous administrations have done, and that is to try to invade and occupy these Middle East nations. We have a lot of tools to punish them and degrade their military effectiveness. So if they want to continue to play tit-for-tat, we hold most of the cards. 
they will, in fact, uh, uh, start trying to conduct terrorist attacks on American assets. And I would say that, uh, you know, these Trump properties that are scattered throughout the world uh, better uh, beef up their security um, in, in a massive way because they are uh, sitting targets. I would not be booking any stays at Trump hotels, especially over in the Middle East. But uh, they're saying this was a drone strike that killed uh, this uh, Quds Force leader, Suleimani. It also killed a guy named Abu Madari Madamas. He was the leader of this, uh, this popular mobilization force, which was an uh, Iran-backed militia operating in Iraq that was attacking American interests in response to our sanctions. But uh, this is a good development because, uh, you know, we have shown Iran that, uh, w you know, we are perfectly capable of uh, attacking their, their uh, uh, terrorist infrastructure. And, uh, and now we're going to see whether or not the Iranians want to escalate this. Of course, the neocons in Washington are going to be taking this opportunity to try to do what they've wanted to do all along, and that is uh, to push the United States into a a wider war with Iran, that's not necessary. But here's a clip of Wesley Clark. This was uh, in 2016 when he was describing what the neocons were fomenting over in the State Department in the Pentagon with regard to these wider wars in the Middle East. About 10 days after 9-11, I went through the Pentagon and I saw Secretary Rumsfeld and and Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz, I went downstairs just to say hello to some of the people on the joint staff who used used to work for me. And one of the generals called me and he said, "Sir, you gotta come in. You gotta come in and talk to me a second. I said, "Well, you're too busy." He said, "No, no." He says, you, "We've made the decision. We're going to war with Iraq." This was on or about the 20th of September. I said, "We're going to war with Iraq. Why?" He said, "I don't know." <laughs> He said, I guess they don't know what else to do. So uh, I said, well, did they find some information collect connecting Saddam to Al-Qaeda? He said, no, no. He says, there's nothing new that way. They just made the decision to go to war with Iraq. He said, I guess it's like we don't know what to do about terrorists, but we've got a good military and we can take down governments. And um, he said, I guess if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem has to look like a nail. So I came back to see him a few weeks later, and by that time we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk, he picked up a piece of paper, and he said, I just, he said, I just got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense's office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're gonna take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq, and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. I said, is it classified? He said, yes, sir. I said, I said, well, don't show it to me. And I saw him a year or so ago, and I said, you remember that? He said, sir, I didn't show you that memo. I didn't show it to you. So did those uh, countries sound familiar? Somalia, Yemen, Libya, Syria? In fact, uh, the United States, first under George W. Bush, and then following under Barack Obama, 
did in fact go into those places and destabilize uh, and in many cases overturn the existing regime there that was keeping a lid on the uh, the secular, I mean the uh, the sectarian Muslim forces over there. And now uh, the natural consequence of this is coming to light, and that is Iraq has been uh, turned into a, a vacuum that Iran has been glad to fill. They've wanted to do it for a long time. We've got to run out to a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about this. Stick with us. Mojo. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So really, this strike at the Baghdad airport against Soleimani and the leader of their local Iran militia in Iraq is, is not an opportunity that we could pass up. Soleimani was undoubtedly there to to escalate the attack on American interests, and, uh, and getting both of these guys in the same car was uh, was just a uh, a great opportunity, and I'm glad that Donald Trump had the uh, the fortitude to go ahead and call this strike. Um, but now we're put in a position where uh, we've got to see whether or not Iran wants to continue to escalate this. Of course, they were responsible for these attacks on the American embassy when, uh, when the United States sent in reinforcements. They withdrew very promptly, claiming that they, uh, they were doing so because they had assurances from the uh, I- Iraqi uh, leadership that they were going to call for the withdrawal of American troops, but they they pulled back because they knew that they were about to suffer another major loss of their militias inside Iraq. Uh, Mike Pompeo appeared on CNN to talk about it. Uh, these attacks on the American embassy. Language is important. Are these protesters militants or something else? Well, so you know there were actually protests today, but they weren't as our, at our facility. The protests were over in Tahrir Square. These were uh, the Iraqi people as they have been protesting for months against the corrupt uh, leaders inside of their country. They just want a sovereign, free, independent Iraq. Today the people that came to our embassy are people like uh, Mohandas and Haider al-Mari, people that we've known for a long time that are U.S. People that used to be that, that, were, that were people who are designated terrorists who showed up at this facility while these activities were taking place and watch these actions take place, standing at the front gates to our embassy. Make no mistake about it, this was directed uh, by the Iranian leadership, and many of these people are designated terrorists. It was directed by designated terrorists, actual terrorists, inside Iraq that were allowed to be there because we deposed um, uh, Saddam Hussein on this WMD um, lie that we told the American people. It was a an ill-fated um, miscalculation, one of the most the, the largest strategic blunders in American history. I call it a blunder, but uh, maybe it wasn't from the neocons' point of view because they knew at some point, probably they believed much sooner than this, 
it would lead to this conflict between the United States and Iran. But um, here's the key. We do not need to continue these foolish neocon wars of, of toppling regimes and invading countries. We are perfectly capable of putting Iran back in its place through our superior military ability, um, uh, you know, capabilities without directly uh, trying to put boots on the ground over there. Now, the uh, the operation that the United States did over in Kosovo was uh, foolish to to an unbelievable degree because we uh, created another Muslim nation in the heart of Eastern Europe, continued to antagonize uh, the Soviet, or Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union, but the the model that they, uh, they uh, executed in Kosovo is a, a model that we could de- employ against Iran and other uh, hostile nations, and that is to uh, to use our superior air power and cruise missiles uh, to make them pay a price that uh, that will uh, ultimately lead to their capitulation. I've got a clip here. This is from uh, a fellow named Jim Hansen. He is a former. Uh, military officer and head of the security study group on how to respond to all of this. Language is important. Are these protesters (laughs) military? There's Jim again with the wrong clip. Here we go. Okay, so why should the United States attack Iran in response to what they did? They attacked us. I think the question is, can we play tit for tat or can we actually do something that will show them it's going to hurt them to do things like this? They attacked us in Iraq. We responded, President Trump, strongly and hit bases of theirs in Iraq and Syria. The problem is those are proxies. Those are Iraqis and Syrians who Iran has conscripted. Next, they actually took the step of attacking U.S. territory. They invaded the United States, our sovereign soil. That's right. Now the question is... How do we hit them in a way that doesn't turn the Iraqis and Syrians against us and shows them that we mean business? And I think there are ways to do that. All right. Like what? <laughs> when they did their string of tanker attacks mm-hmm. across the all of 2019, we never hit any of their bases. We planned one, and President Trump ended up calling it off because of the fact that there were going to be a lot of casualties. Well, I think the times come, if they're going to attack the United States, that we should take some of their dangerous toys out of commission. Yep, we need to take their military capabilities off of the table and show Iran that uh, you know they are not a force that is able to confront the United States. We can do that with our naval power over there. I was uh, I was in the Persian Gulf uh, back in the early 80s um, when Iran was allied with the former Soviet Union and challenging us, and uh, and that's exactly what President Reagan did. He started uh, taking out their navy and uh, and their defense forces along the coasts, and they quickly realized that if they engaged in this kind of uh, confrontation with the United States, that they were going to pay a price that was going to leave them vulnerable to uh, to their enemies in the region. That at the time, those enemies in the region were Iraq. We were foolishly took that off of the board, but now they have to worry about uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, and other. Uh, Shiite uh, Muslim nations in the region. So, yeah, 
I feel pretty good uh, that uh, the United States took this opportunity to, to get Soleimani and the leader of the militia in Iraq um, and, uh, and showed strength and resolve and not backing down. Soleimani was undoubtedly there to coordinate continued attacks on American interests in Iraq, and, uh, and he is, uh, is now uh, gone on to his reward in hell. So the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad has released a statement urging American citizens to uh, evacuate the region. I don't know how many thousands of Americans are over there as contractors and, uh, and business interests in Iraq, but uh, they need to get the hell out. They've been told to take the next flight or, if they're close to the borders, to flee into a, uh, a safe country because you know that uh, the terrorist forces of Iran are going to be over there looking for American targets. If they do that, then uh, Trump needs to escalate uh, and and start taking out their their uh, defenses in Iran. The problem now is we're you know we don't have the uh, luxury any longer of just uh, attacking. Iran at a distance because we're pinned down in Iraq. We've got this 100-acre, 125-acre embassy. It's really a fortress that we've set up in Baghdad. It's a giant sitting target, and uh, and you know at some point we're going to have to walk away from that that foolishness and uh, let uh, Iraq return to its own uh, sovereignty. One of the interesting things is uh, both in Iraq and in Iran, there were people celebrating the death of Soleimani in the streets because Soleimani has, uh, has been the number one uh, mastermind behind Iran's terrorist activities in the Middle East and in, in uh, Iraq and Syria and, uh, and, other, and, and uh, Lebanon. And so, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's very telling that when the United States assassinated Soleimani and the leader of the Iranian militias inside Iraq, the response of the uh, of the, in the streets they like to call it over there was celebration because these people are sick and tired of the mullahs in Iran you know, using uh, their nation as a vehicle for terrorism. And this guy, Suleimani, was ahead of it. But we're going to have to walk away from Iraq at some point. We're going to have to uh, leave this neocon enterprise, this, this ridiculous, massive embassy. And, uh, and that's going to that's gonna look bad. Uh, I don't think... Trump is going to be able to do that uh, during this election season because the Democrats will, you know, characterize this as weakness. And already you've got Joe Biden. And I, I said on yesterday's show that his gas were becoming more and more substantive, more and more unhinged, more and more incoherent and illogical, but gas nonetheless. And Joe Biden, in response to this killing of uh, Soleimani, which should be cause for celebration, issued a statement undermining 
American interests and the, and the, uh, the conflict that we're engaged in in Iran. And when we come back from these messages, I'm going to read you Joe Biden's statement, and we'll talk more about that. You're going to hear two commercials, and then we'll be back right here on Right Now on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Stick with us. As you make plans this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. So in the first half hour, I tried to uh, to cover how we got to this place where this escalating conflict with Iran is uh, threatening to leave us vulnerable to the neocons' desire to drag us into a wider war over there. And I talked about how we can uh, we can punish the Iranians without uh, you know putting boots on the ground and engaging in a wider conflict in the region. And this is a time for the leaders in the United States to rally around this administration. I think uh, Trump was perfectly right to take out Soleimani and the leader of the Iran militia inside Iraq that had been attacking American interests. So you would have thought that this would be a chance for Biden to show his statesmanship and his understanding that he keeps telling us is so deep about national security and foreign policy, but no Joe Biden immediately issued a statement right after the killing of this uh, this terrorist that's responsible for more death and destruction in the region than, than any other uh, single person. And uh, Biden issued this statement saying, quote, no American will mourn the past. Uh, uh, let me start again. Quote, no American will mourn Qasem Soleimani's passing. First of all, he didn't pass. He was killed. Biden goes on, he deserved to be brought to justice for his crimes against American troops and thousands of innocents throughout the region. He supported terror and sowed chaos. None of that, this is where he starts, uh, he, he pivots right around after just two sentences and starts criticizing the American effort over there. He says, none of that negates the fact that this is a hugely escalatory move 
in an already dangerous region. The administration's statement says that its goal is to deter future attacks by Iran, but this action will almost certainly have the opposite effect. So according to Joe Biden, we should have allowed Soleimani to come into Iran, or into Iraq, I should say, and, uh, and coordinate the Iranian militia's attacks on America in Iraq. He goes on, President Trump just tossed a stick of dynamite into a tinderbox. Good job, Joe. And he owes the American people an explanation of his strategy and plan to keep our troops safe and our embassy personnel, our people and our interests, both here at home and abroad, and our partners throughout the region and beyond. You can see why the Obama administration was so frozen with indecision on how to to uh, to handle Iran in the region and ended up shipping them 150 or 200 billion dollars on ca- uh, pallets of cash. Biden goes on. I'm not privy to the intelligence, and much remains unknown. But Iran will surely respond. Well, maybe they will, and if they do, we have a, a lot of things that we can put them in their place. Biden says. We could be on the brink of a major conflict across the Middle East. We're already in a major conflict in the Middle East. I hope the administration has thought through the second and third order consequences of the path they have chosen, but I fear this administration has not demonstrated at any turn the discipline or long-term vision necessary, and the stakes could not be higher. So Joe Biden just played right in to the hands of the Iranians by showing uh, disunity and a lack of resolve of the Democrat Party, which holds one house of Congress, he has, uh, he has weakened our ability to make sure that Iran does not uh, try to strike out at American uh, Americans, American military personnel, and American assets in the region. You've got to keep in mind now that Joe Biden voted for the invasion of Iraq based on this lie of weapons of mass destruction, which I believe uh, the people in Congress were perfectly aware were lies that uh, Iraq had no weapons of mass destruction. And if you don't believe me, listen to old Nancy uh, admit it in public. It was overwhelming call for me to impeach President Bush on the strength of the war in Iraq, which I vehemently opposed. And again, I again, I, I say again. I said, said at other places. I, I that was my wheelhouse. I was intelligence. I was a ranking member on the intelligence committee, uh, even before I became part of the leadership of Gang of Four. So I knew there were no nuclear weapons in Iraq. It just wasn't there. They had to show us. They had to show the Gang of Four all the intelligence they had. The intelligence did not show that uh, that that was the case. So I knew. Well, I hasten to add that uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi at the time did not come out and say that I've seen the intelligence and there is, are no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Yes, she did vote against the invasion of Iraq, but Joe Biden voted for it. And now the natural consequence of this is that uh, we have destabilized the region and left a vacuum that has allowed Iran to expand into Iraq. And we're dealing with the consequences of that. And the Trump administration was perfectly right to take this opportunity to take out Soleimani when he had the nerve to come over there into Iraq and try to coordinate 
the uh, the activities of Iranian militias inside Iraq. But the Democrats just cannot resist the urge to try to use this for political gain. They are opportunists. They're liars, and uh, and they certainly have, uh, in the in the form of Joe Biden, disgraced themselves in their response to what should be good news, and that is the killing of the terrorist mastermind Suleimani. So we're going to have to watch this. Um, we certainly have the ability to keep Iran in its place and punish them for the terrorist activities that they are likely to engage in in response to all of this. Joe Biden's also out on the campaign trail bragging that the impeachment, the Democrats' impeachment hoax in the House of Representatives, now gives him an advantage in 2020 that Hillary Clinton didn't enjoy in 2016. He's actually admitting, because he cannot control his mouth, that the impeachment will give him an advantage in the upcoming 2020 election. Of course, that's exactly what it was designed to do. And Senator Josh Hawling, who uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, being a presidential candidate maybe as early as 2024, announced today that if the Democrats don't deliver their articles of impeachment by a deadline of next Monday, that he will introduce uh, legislation to dismiss the articles of impeachment. That is uh, January 6th. Holly tweeted out, the Dems said impeachment was urgent. Now they don't want to have a trial because they know they have no evidence. In the real world, if a prosecution doesn't proceed with a case, it's quickly dismissed. So on Monday, I will introduce a measure to dismiss this bogus impeachment for lack of prosecution. This will expose the Dems' circus for what it is, a fake impeachment, abuse of con- con- the Constitution, and based on no evidence. If the Dems won't proceed with the trial, bogus articles should be dismissed and real Donald Trump should be fully cleared. So at every turn, uh, I continue to be encouraged by Josh Hawley. He is a strategic thinker, a nationalist, and, uh, and I would argue is the rightful heir to the America First movement. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about about one of my pet peeves, something that really just gripes my ass. And this is this term progressive. And as I watch uh, the the media coverage of the uh, uh, plainly far left Democrats, Republicans continue to allow themselves to use this this Orwellian term progressive to describe the current Democrat Party. They're not progressive. They're not progressive in any sense. They have become a party of hoaxes, and their policies are anything but progressive. They are, in fact, regressive. These, uh, uh, these efforts to weaken law enforcement in cities throughout this country are not progressive. They're regressive. The the policies that the Democrats pursue to open up our borders and allow tens of millions of illegal immigrants to take up residence inside our nation, that's not progressive. That's regressive. Progressive, my butt. We need to start using an accurate term for the Democrats, and that is Marxists. They have become a Marxist party. 
that are uh, pursuing policies that punish free enterprise in this country. I don't like this term capitalist either. Uh, yes, we are a capitalist economy, but you know uh, the capitalist forces in this country have, have uh, used their their money and influence in Washington, D.C. to remove legitimate regulations on them and allow them to run roughshod over the rest of the economy. What we're about protecting is free enterprise in this country. And that does have a capitalist dimension to it, no doubt. But the Democrats want to overturn not only capitalism, but they want to overturn free enterprise. And the logical conclusion to all of this is exactly what you have seen in nation after nation that has gone down this path, most recently in Venezuela. Because you cannot control an economy. You cannot have a controlled economy like the Democrats are preaching. A free market economy relies on thousands and thousands of business people pursuing their own self-interest to create a market and create competition and create prosperity for millions and millions of people throughout this world. In the last decade, we have lifted more people out of poverty through capitalism and free enterprise than in the history of the world. And immediately you have these so-called progressive Democrats trot out and start uh, agitating to turn back the clock on these types of policies because they want to pander to people's desire to get something for nothing. That's why they're out there promising all of this free stuff. But they're not progressive. And every time I hear one of these uh, Republicans on the media using this term progressive playing into their hands, I want to throw a shoe at the TV. We gotta, we, and we need to stop calling them liberal. They're not liberal. We, we need to stop calling them socialists because they're, uh, they're luring and, uh, and uh, soft-peddling what they're up to with this term socialism because we've got social security and other aspects of a free market economy that do pursue social, uh, social objectives. They are Marxists. They're, they're pursuing the policies that Marxists have pursued throughout history in the Soviet Union and China and Cuba and Laos and uh, Nicaragua and now in Venezuela. And it always inevitably leads in the collapse of their economy and widespread suffering and panic and tyranny and despotism. We've got to run out to a break. We'll catch up with the other news when we come back. Stick with us. Zenni offers prescription glasses starting at $6.95, as well as affordable sunglasses, blue blockers, and more. The best part? Try any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Visit Zenni.com today and change the way you buy glasses forever. So as we went out to a break, I was talking about the use of this term progressive, or I should say the misuse of this term progressive. We've allowed the left to capture the language largely because we allowed them to capture 
the educational system in this country. And, uh, and I'm arguing that we need to use the term that accurately describes what has happened to the Democrat Party with the takeover by the left, and that is that they, are, uh, they have become neo-Marxists. They started with cultural Marxism, but just like the Frankfurt School that set up shop at Columbia University intended, they're transitioning from cultural Marxism into economic Marxism. And a, a beautiful illustration of this is what happened in Times Square in New York, where Domino's Pizza was delivering pizzas to the crowd, but they were charging uh, almost twice the current or the uh, the normal rate for their pizza, which they sell for $15 in New York, and they were charging $30. And this just really uh, ticked off the Marxist mayor of New York City, de Blasio, who took to his Twitter account and condemned Domino's Pizza for doing this. Well, uh, I guess it it may have been, he, he called it gouging. They were gouging the the revelers in Times Square for a $30 pizza as if attending a, uh, a an event in Times Square were some sort of natural disaster. It's not. It's entertainment. And just like uh, when you go to uh, uh, an NHL game or an NFL game, you pay way more than you would normally for uh, food and beverages. Domino's Pizza was taking the opportunity to uh, to charge what the market would bear, and they sold thousands and thousands of these pizzas in Times Square for $30. The people there were more than happy to pay for it as they waited for the ball drop. So... I don't think it was good corporate policy. It probably hurt Domino's interests with the people in Times Square, especially the ones that um, you know are more of a, a Marxist bent already, which I would I would would not be surprised to find out were a large percentage of them. But this was not a natural disaster. This was an entertainment event, and uh, they were selling as many pizzas as they could make at thirty dollars. De Blasio says that. People should retaliate against Domino's by uh, by patronizing local pizzerias. Well, guess what, de Blasio? All of those Domino's pizzas inside New York City are franchises. They are locally owned and operated. And I would not be surprised if there were other local pizzerias that were selling um, pizzas throughout Times Square at escalated prices as well. But he uh, he saw an opportunity to attack a corporation and burnish his Marxist credentials, and he most certainly did that. How the the home of capitalism at Wall Street ever allowed the election of a Marxist mayor has always been a head-scratcher to me. And it has had the perfectly predictable results with uh, the rise of homelessness and and uh, disastrous economic policies that have uh, that have brought New York uh, back down to the uh, to the levels that they were seeing prior to the election of Rudy Giuliani. One of the other enterprises that the left is engaged in is the uh, move to legalize pot, and we now have 11 states, including the largest state in the Union, California, that have. Legalized recreational marijuana. And a couple of weeks ago, I was out in Colorado 
which is one of the latest states along with Illinois to legalize recreational pot. And I was able to see firsthand the consequences of this because you had a bunch of stoners, um, you know, at work in the restaurants and, and out on the roads uh, uh, driving erratically. And the pot that uh, that they're legalized is not the pot of the 70s and 80s that people used to buy in nickel bags. This is some powerful knock-you-on-your-butt kind of pot that is uh, going to turn this generation into a bunch of uh, couch potato zombies as if they weren't that enough already. But uh, my daughter is now living out there in Colorado, and I... I it really upsets me that they, the government has put its stamp of approval, its imprimatur, on the use of uh, this, this very potent version of pot. And it is going to have the perfectly predictable results of reducing uh, their productivity and, uh, and, and causing the rise of schizophrenia and uh, psychosis among uh, younger people that are, um, you know, even mo- more susceptible to, uh, to, uh, to the dysfunction caused by excessive pot use. But there are big, big bucks behind all of this. You've got people, including the former uh, speaker, Republican Speaker of the House from Ohio, whose name escapes me now. But also you've got uh, Nancy Pelosi's son, Paul Pelosi, that's heavily invested in this uh, pot business. And they, uh, they push these policies forward by, by calling them victimless crimes. Well, I can tell you, I went into one of these dispensaries in Colorado and just look, took a look. The, uh, the prices that they're charging for this pot are, are through the roof. And, uh, and because of the potency of the pot they're selling, it's going to reduce those people's productivity and their ability to hold a job. And, uh, and they're going to have to continue to feed this pot habit that they're going to be uh, gaining. And they're going to have to feed that in some way absent a job, and that is going to be because, uh, through uh, burglaries and, and larcenies and other, other increased crimes. So victimless crime, my butt. And you, you've got the libertarians out there agitating to not only legalize pot, but uh, Oxycontin and, and heroin and these other completely debilitating drugs. And that'll be a $100 a day habit for people who will be unable to hold jobs, and they will feed their habit by victimizing the productive members of society. So victimless crime, my butt. I got a clip here from a uh, guy that's out in Colorado trying to raise a family, talking about the effects that uh, pot is having on his infant daughter. We were raising our daughter. We would take her out on walks in her stroller, and every time we took her for a walk in her stroller, she would be just engulfed in secondhand marijuana smoke. Um, and there was one evening where we were walking, and this was happening. And my wife turned to me and she said, "I can't believe this is normal. I can't believe that families have to, to deal with this in their own neighborhood, on their own streets. They're they're walking their kids." 
Uh, and I turned around and I said that you're absolutely right. There's something so wrong here. So as Kevin said, uh, you know, I don't think anybody should go to jail for smoking a joint. But on the, on the same token, we should not allow this massive commercialized industry to expand youth and to expand secondhand smoking because families and kids and, and the non-smokers have rights too. Uh, you remember the public health uh, disaster that tobacco visited on this country, and we're finally starting to get a handle on that through uh, through the rise of vaping uh, that's allowed people to enjoy the benefits of nicotine, which is a uh, you know an addictive drug in itself, but without getting all of the negative side effects of tar and the other uh, the other chemicals contained in tobacco. But it was it was often said that smoking one joint was equivalent to smoking a pack of cigarettes. Well, all of that talk has gone away now, and you've got the same people that were out there, I would argue, rightly arguing against tobacco use, promoting um, to promoting legalized recreational marijuana. And there's no doubt that smoking um, weed marijuana in the form of uh, buds that they're selling is uh, is more damaging to your lungs than tobacco. And this is going to lead to an increase in crime and play right into the the Marxist desire to uh, to turn the major cities into this in this country into shitholes. We've got rising crime in city after city across this country. Nobody can figure out why these uh, these Democrats are uh, purposely weakening law enforcement, attacking police officers, and uh, and uh, degrading their ability to enforce the laws. I've got a theory on that. You know, we've seen this major movement, this gentrification of city after city, where uh, young white people are moving back into the cities, gentrifying neighborhoods, uh, trying to improve the school systems, and and setting up uh, setting up a house in their lives. I think that the Democrats see this as a threat to their strongholds and on these cities, and uh, and these anti-policing efforts, largely spearheaded by George Soros, are designed to make the quality of life in these cities uh, to degrade the quality of life, to uh, to to put the brakes on this continued gentrification because that that is these cities are strongholds of these these Marxist Democrats. Tucker was on his show last night talking about these rising crime rates. Oh, I'm not going to play this clip. It's too long. I'm going to play this other clip. This is Dr. Ron Martelli talking about the Ferguson effect, which uh, kicked off the, uh, the left's uh, um, movement to weaken policing in this country. They're, they're constantly worried now what are they going to be supported by their administration, uh, by society, by their communities. Are they going to lose their jobs? You know, not only are they going to lose their life or, or get injured uh, in the line of duty, but are they going to lose their job? Are they going to get sued? Joining me now is Dr. Ron Martinelli. He's a forensic criminologist and former California police officer, retired. Thank you for being here with me. Um, Ron, I want to talk to you about something that is really disturbing that I didn't know about until uh, just this week. For the third year in a row, the number of police officers who committed suicide outnumbered those killed in the line of duty. What do you make of, of these statistics? 
Well, first of all, it, it's just tragic. Uh, as a matter of fact, it also we also have first responders, which include firefighters. There, these officers are under so much stress. Uh, we've seen an exponential increase in stress uh, over the over the past four years, uh, ever since uh, you know Ferguson, and even be, before that, we actually have a, a research uh, study that was called the Ferguson Effect that talks about the low morale of police officers. You know, well, what's happened is, beginning with, uh, you know, the, the mainstream media characterizing um, Darren Wilson's shooting of Michael Brown as some sort of hands-up-don't-shoot movement, right on to Soros's election of uh, left-wing district attorneys throughout this nation that refused to enforce the law, this has got police officers unwilling to to do the aggressive policing that's necessary to uh, to enforce the laws in these major cities. I don't think it's an accident. I think it is a strategic, um, very uh, evil movement on, behalf, on the part of the left to try to make the quality of life in these cities so miserable that, uh, that people will not move in and... Uh, improve these these cities and um, and weaken the Marxist movement there got so much more to get to uh, we'll, we'll put this uh, off until Monday and I hope you'll join us then that takes us to the end of this edition of right now right here on the Mojo 50 radio network thanks for joining us happy new year enjoy your weekend and we'll talk to you Monday When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details.